0: called uh, bright side of the Sun it's just the opening bars it's by basin and range who um, did the uh, the other theme that I've used in the intro for a while now uh, I was just exploring some of their stuff and I came across that and I kind of like it let me know what you think should I stick with that should I keep mixing it up should I go back to le pigeons uh, I don't know I like that there there's something nostalgic and Himalayan feeling. It reminds me of Nepal for some reason. Anyway, it's Basin and Range. You can check out their music at basinandrangeband.com. That's where they've got their music. You can download that song. If you like that intro, I'd encourage you to to download the whole song because it just starts from there and then it sort of layers more and more uh, sort of electronic funky sounds onto that bass. And uh, it's it takes you places. It takes you interesting places. Anyway, uh, speaking of going places, this week's guest has been some places. Um, <laughs> I mean, he has really been around. Kevin Johnson was on the podcast uh, uh, months ago, maybe a year ago. I don't know. Um, he was, uh, we talked about his float center in Austin, Texas. He's a pioneer in new float technology. He builds and designs and ships and installs. And he's sort of, um, you know, one of the engines of growth in the, the growing float community. And, um, so we talked about that and I did my first float at his place. And so the first episode is, is mainly about floating but as i've gotten to know kevin uh, a little bit more deeply i've seen i've learned that he's a fascinating guy he's there's so much going on with him he was uh extremely he and his wife were extremely um, uh successful musicians touring full time you know um, um employing a band uh on the road you know Opening for, uh, oh God, he says, I think in the podcast, he says some of the people they opened for. I, was, I don't remember if it was the the Eagles or, I mean, they've opened for big names. Um, <clears throat> and uh, in addition to that, we talk about his time in New York City when he was studying music and supporting himself by busking in the subway uh, for both morning and evening rush hours. So he was like a, a young Texan guy with a guitar playing songs in the subway making money turns out he was there the same time I was I probably uh, god I hope I put money in his guitar case if I walk by Um, but uh, and then in addition to that he's also a very serious cave explorer so we get into the caving and talking about what it's like to to be in these amazing places some of which no one has ever been in before. you know, you you walk into a room way underground in a place that it's quite possible no human being has ever been in. So in this podcast, we go from New York City subway swarming with people to uh, the heart of the earth under New Mexico, where no one's ever been. I'm plugging away at the book these days. Uh, give you a little taste of it. Uh, here's a paragraph I wrote this morning. It's the opening paragraph uh, to a chapter called Let the End Times Roll. When it comes to Mother Earth, we're all motherfuckers. Just being alive compels us to participate in the systematic destruction of the environment that sustains our lives. Australian biologist Tim Flannery called human beings quote, future eaters, unquote, in reference to our tendency to drive other species into extinction. But we eat the future and past in other ways. Ours is the species that will cut down a tree to get the last apples. Our age is fueled by accumulated solar energy we've learned to extract from oil, coal, and natural gas deposits. In the past century, we've burned through millions of years of accumulated sunlight, all of it. Up in smoke in a human lifetime or two. Topsoil composed of tens of thousands of years worth of biomass gets washed away in a few rainy seasons because we've clear cut forests for a few years of grazing or farming. We bury nuclear waste or let it sink to the bottom of the ocean despite knowing that it will be lethal for far longer than any containers we can design will last. We turn out millions of tons of plastic every year, knowing it will litter the planet for millennia to come. Be here now seems to have become to hell with yesterday and tomorrow. Not quite what the Buddha had in mind, I'd wager. So you can see, this chapter particularly is uh, is a downer, <laughs> but. You know, this is the challenge of, of this book. It is it is a downer. I mean, I was talking, I, I did an interview the other day with a, a woman who's writing a book and she's doing a, an article for Vanity Fair about, um, about these dating apps and hookup culture and online porn and all this kind of stuff. And... She has spent a lot of time with teenage girls in the last year or two and and sort of exploring what's going on in uh, sexuality with the youngest generation coming up now. And we got into a discussion about how a lot of what's happening is not about forming relationships anymore. It's just about hooking up, getting laid, see you later. And far be it from me to, uh, you know, to criticize anyone for having casual friendly sex. I'm a big fan of casual friendly sex. Um, but it's got to be friendly. That's that's the thing. There's got to be at least some basic affection and respect and decency. Um, and the confusion is that I think a lot of people don't think it's possible to have Casual, respectful sex, I completely disagree with that. I think you can have casual sex that's respectful and 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 uh, imbued with decency and uh, you know basic dignity just as much as you can have dinner with uh, someone you just met on the train you know and and have it be a great dinner and have a great conversation and sometimes sometimes you can have a conversation that runs deeper. With someone you've just met than someone you've known for a long time, simply because there's a freedom there that uh, that gets eroded over time in many cases. But anyway, that my point is that in talking about all this, one of the things that one of the points that we came to is that a lot of what's going on now in sexuality, especially with very young people, seems to be driven by a desperate. Hunger for distraction in other words that it's not about forming relationships or or uh, experiencing intimacy with another person it's about taking your mind away from from something and you know I was thinking about that in in my own life uh, you know I'm one of these people who likes to shut off my brain sometimes because it gets... Uh, it gets overpowering it 's not that that my brain is so amazing or anything it 's just that um i I just want it to shut up occasionally you know <clears throat> and um sex is one of the few ways to do that. Other ways are uh sports exercise uh but intense exercise like playing basketball or something where you 're sort of just running ragged or Rock climbing, you know, things, scuba diving, things where you're terrified, that tends to shut off the mind or at least focus it on just that one scream. Um, But, you know, that's why I like to do those things sometimes, just to shut up the fucking chattering drunken monkey that is the brain. Um, And it, it feels like. Young people are, are sort of seeking the same thing through these casual sexual hookups. And we hypothesize that maybe what it is that everyone's so desperate to distract themselves from is the creeping realization that we live in the end times. I know it sounds ridiculous. There's always been somebody saying the end is nigh. One of those crazy guys in the sidewalk with the sign and handing out the literature. There's always been those guys. They've always been there. And so people will uh, ridicule me and laugh at me and say, yeah, yeah, there's always been that. But here's the thing. Our government is no longer investing in the future. Our financial sector is shortening, has already shortened the profit cycles to nanoseconds. There are computers now, there's a, a book called Flash Boys about these computers that are making trades in nanoseconds. And that's the unit now. That's the time unit. It's, it's gone down to nanoseconds. And as I said, government isn't investing in the future. The, the debt is something that's exploded beyond the point where it could ever even possibly be repaid, but we all just keep pretending everything's cool. But we all know it's not cool. We're engaged in systems and cycles that we know are leading to absolute destruction. And yet we can't stop. And most of us find ways to ignore it and get through the day. But I think it's getting harder. I think it's getting harder. And especially for young people who are just coming to consciousness there must be so much anger. I was angry as a teenager. I think I think a lot of the anger of teenagers is coming to realize what this is the world. This is the place I'm supposed to live my life in. Fuck. There's a huge disappointment. You know, if you if you come up in a sort of loving protected family and your innocence lasts for a while, once you start figuring out what's really going on. Of course you're going to be angry. Santa Claus is the least of it, right? Santa Claus is the smallest lie you've been told, kid. Let's start with, you know, America is the the home of freedom and dignity and blah, blah, blah. Sure it is. Tell it to the 100 or 200,000 Iraqis who've died in the last 10 years. For what? For what? Because Saddam was a bad guy? Give me a fucking break. Anyway, I don't want to go off on that because this isn't about America. This isn't even about uh, you know the politics or whatever. It's it's about civilization itself. Civilization is the sickness, and we all have it. So, what the trick for this book is to try to be honest about this. Because if I'm not going to say what I really see, then what the fuck is the point of any of this, right? Um, if I'm not going to be honest with my readers, I don't deserve any fucking readers. But on the other hand, who wants to read a 300 page book talking about, you know, you know, how depressing it all is. So there, there is a hopeful message, (laughs) but like in the last chapter, I don't know how many people are going to work their way all the way to the last chapter, but I try to keep it amusing. I don't know. What do you think? When it comes to Mother Earth, we're all motherfuckers. I think that's a pretty good line. I don't know if my editor is going to let it stay in the final version, but I'll fight for it. Because I think, you know, without lines like that, it, it can just get too unrelentingly uh, dour, you know, for people to keep reading. So I got to throw in some spice. I think I mentioned last week that I uh, fractured a couple fingers on my left hand playing basketball so I'm way behind on the emails I'm sorry for those of you who've uh, well I don't answer all the emails anyway but I try to answer as many of them as I can and I've just like fallen completely off the wagon here my inbox has 170 some emails that are flagged red, which means like, you know, answer this, deal with this. And so I, I don't know when the hell I'm ever going to catch up. But uh, one, one it was very interesting. Um, a guy wrote in saying, I hope this isn't too weird. I've never written a letter like this, but it's been a crazy few weeks and I figured I'd throw a stone out into the universe. A little while ago, I suffered a brief but extremely frightening cardiac arrhythmia while hanging uh, by myself at home. At the time, strangely enough, I was listening to one of your podcasts. (laughs) Now, I don't know which, but he doesn't say which episode, uh, but I hope it wasn't the podcast that sent him into the cardiac arrhythmia. Anyway, he says, it was scary as shit, and weird as it is, I ended up sitting on my French porch waiting for an ambulance to come, uh, with only your podcast keeping me company as my heart pounded out of my chest. Um. Having just discovered your stuff, I spent the next several days in the hospital tearing through a large chunk of your archive, and have since continued to do so at home uh, <laughs> so i so maybe that was one of the first episodes he listened to that set him off um, anyway, he says uh you know he might have surgery, I'm not sure yet, but uh he'll he'll be okay um, but he said anyway it's been a weird and intimidating time. And your podcast has been a source of inspiration and strength during a period where both of these things have been in short supply. Uh, being able to tune out the anxiety and listen to the interviews and insights uh, has been fantastic and I wanted to thank you. So, hey, what a wonderful email. Uh, I, I I'm not going to say the guy's name. I don't know how public he wants to be. But if you're listening out there, I um, hope you're feeling better. And uh, I'm sorry i didn't I haven't answered your email. My fingers are fucked up, uh, but I thought I'd answer it this way. so I hope you're feeling better and uh that your heart doesn't beat out of your chest anymore. Be careful listening to this episode because some of these uh caving um, stories are pretty harrowing. Uh, lots of you have written about this idea of putting together a tangentially speaking book. Thank you so much uh, i've I haven't answered any of those emails yet, but I've saved them um, And once they sort of stop coming in, then I will uh, I'll I'll start figuring out what to do with that. Um, Really, what I need is just somebody who can take it over and do it, and like you know, ask me three different times for a decision and and have it be done. But uh, it seems like a lot of really qualified people are interested in working on this. So thank you all of you. And uh, I guess that's it. So thank you to Carsey Blanton, as always, for the theme song at the end, Smoke Alarm. You can find her stuff at carseyblanton.com. She uh, just got back from a European tour, told me she met uh, somebody who listens to the podcast in Germany somewhere. I don't remember which town, but um he invited her to play a party and he was a really nice guy and uh she had a great time so she was happy about uh, the tangentially speaking community so uh if you're out there thanks for inviting uh, carcy to play your party she's she's wonderful i'd like to invite her to play my party if you know what i mean and i think you do Thanks, as always, to Danny Osment at FundWhatYouLove.com. If you want to support the podcast, that's a good place to do it, FundWhatYouLove.com. Or you can make a donation through uh, ChrisRyanPhD.com. You'll see the Tangentially Speaking uh, thing. And on the right side and the margin, there's a donate button, a couple different donate buttons if you like uh, PayPal or Skype or whatever. And of course, as always, you can support the podcast at no expense to you if you use our Amazon.com affiliate uh, link through the ChrisRyanPHD.com, and uh, we'll get a little slice of whatever you spend at Amazon. And if another way you can support the podcast is um, sign up for a trial uh, period on, I think it's a month on um audible.com and you get to download a couple of free audiobooks. you can cancel after the trial period runs out and you pay nothing and they still give us a commission for your membership even if you don't actually ever pay them anything it's a pretty pretty cool gig now i'm not telling thousands of you to sign up for a trial membership that you have no intention of continuing with but if that were to happen that would be a huge chunk of change dropped into our account, uh, at no cost to you. So, but I'm not, I'm not suggesting you do that, but if you were to do that, that's what would happen. If you want to talk to other people about the podcast and uh discuss episodes or you know share notes and talk about books that we've mentioned and things like that, there's a great Reddit community of uh people who listen to tangentially speaking. If you just go to Reddit and do a search of tangentially speaking all one word, you'll find the community There are about a thousand people eight hundred nine hundred something like that um and uh, so there's some pretty good uh, conversations going on about uh, the podcast and guests and topics and all that. So you can check that out. Uh, I guess that's it. Thank you. Uh, Shore Design T-shirts, as always, best T-shirts in the world. You can get the tangentially speaking shirts and hoodies and civilized to death and sexodon and paleo modern and all that stuff through chrisryanphd.com in the store. And of course, go to Shore Design. Um, t-shirts.com, and you can find hundreds. I don't know if there are thousands, but there are many, many designs there in all different colors, and he has sundresses and yoga wear and all sorts of funky stuff. Uh, so if you're feeling tropical, check them out, and use Sex at Dawn, one word altogether, Sex at Dawn, at checkout, and you get 10% off. Thanks, as always, for your attention. I don't take it for granted, and I really appreciate it. I uh, hope you enjoy this conversation with the great Kevin Johnson. I certainly did. And um, I'll catch you next week. All right. Here we are speaking tangentially in Texas. Speaking tex text gently,
1: It's hard to say, man, you get in trouble with
0: text Uh We're in, uh, I'm in Austin, Texas uh, a couple hours before flying out. The sky is dark the clouds are roiling. It's it's looking like a dangerous day to be flying out of Texas. You may be I don't staying know. another day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind. We've had a great time down here. Cassie and I have been in Austin for the last few days for the Paleo FX conference where I gave a, um, a little talk about paleo politics and... Uh, Attended by about 15 people, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had a similar one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You talk about sexuality, it, it packs the room. You talk about politics, like, yeah, maybe I'll go to the other one. You yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm here with Kevin Johnson, uh, flotation guru, musician, and uh, pal. I we, we spent the day yesterday uh, hanging out on some warm rocks by a river. Kevin took Cassie and me to... Uh, one of his spots, secret spots here in in the outskirts of Texas, in the hill country. And uh, I learned a lot of interesting things that I didn't know about you. We're just sort of getting to know each other. And yeah. you're a multifaceted motherfucker.
1: I wear a lot of hats,
0: man. Yeah. 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 It's hard to look good in a lot of hats. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I thought uh, we could throw in another podcast while I was down here just to explore some other elements. You've been on before. We talked about flotation, how you got into that. and the beauty of your uh, center, the Zero Gravity Institute, which uh, was the first place I ever floated,
1: yeah, I love that
0: yeah, I look back <laughs> on my virgin float experience uh, it's nothing like the first time, is yeah. it yeah, yeah, uh, that was also
1: the first day that we actually met face to face. you know we had talked right. a few times before that, but that was our first face to face, and it was just cool to have you guys in there and. Yeah, you know, Just get you guys turned on to floating and what it could offer. And and, uh... and
0: even as we speak, Cassie is floating. Yeah, right now. She's floating right Hopefully now. Hopefully she's doing great. I'm skipping my uh, my my float to, to do the podcast here. So I hope you people appreciate that. <laughs> it's really sacrificing today, <laughs> sacrificing. you can tell. Exactly. So uh, anyway, I, I, I wanted to talk about some other things. But before we get into the other things, let's just remind people... You not only run one of the premier float centers in the country, you are in the manufacturing of float tanks. And you're distributing and <clears throat> helping uh, people get their, their new centers up and running. And it's a burgeoning business these days, from what I hear.
1: Yeah, it's really been great. We, we, um, it, it started really just because we got our float center open, and it started to become so popular. People were really enjoying like the way we do it. Right. And um, one of the key elements there was that we had designed and built our own flotation tanks with um, just, uh, you know, they're, they're bigger than normal float tanks. You know, they're six feet wide, eight feet long, seven feet tall, really designed to just make a more comfortable, inviting um, environment for people to float. Yeah. And then just as people started using them and word got around about how cool those tanks were and uh, how functional and uh, they, they're really complex, uh, in terms of their automation and things like that, you know, and people just started being excited about them and people started calling me wanting to know if they could buy them. And it really just turned into a whole, a whole new business that now occupies, you know, most of my time. I mean, yeah. we're, we're really to the point now where my wife, Carol is running the, the float center and I'm pretty much now full time in the manufacturing end of things. So yeah. it's been great. We feel very lucky that, that this happened for us so. and
0: and thus far i know you're you're working very hard to have uh, the manufacturing done in the u.s uh mm-hmm. you know domestic employing american workers and yeah. you know and you uh help help people set up the tanks you, they're from what you were telling me last night you've got them you've got it really worked out where you can assemble the entire system without tools yeah. which is amazing yeah yeah that was one of my goals. So it arrives on a truck, you just sort of it's like a a desk from from IKEA, you just plug and plug it in, you know, tab A goes into slot B and there you go, that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah basically, you know, the whole the 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 flotation tank itself, the the actual um chamber that you're floating in is all just a tongue and groove system. Right. So it doesn't take any tools at all. You put the base tub down, you put the walls Resting on the lip of that tub, then you put the lid on it, and it just it all just kind of clicks together like Tupperware. Yeah, and so no no special tools, no mechanical fastening or anything like that. And then all the filtration system we just built it modular, so that you just um, hand tighten the plumbing fittings up to the up to the tank, plug everything into the control panel, and it it literally only takes a couple hours to get it put together and up and up and running. Right, so it's a great great little system, and and uh, we're just kind of perfecting all the little details and what it
0: takes uh, I know you've you've acquired uh, some partners recently is that public knowledge is that something you want to talk about or you um,
1: gonna... yeah it's it's okay we haven't we haven't really gone super public with it but um, uh, basically on it labs which is um, aubrey Marcus and Joe Rogan own that company yeah and uh, they they've bought into the manufacturing part of it and we're going to be um, manufacturing uh, float rooms for them to sell as well on their uh, website and in their catalog and things like that.
0: It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's, the, the, I love those guys so much. I mean, they're, they're yeah. so supportive, and they've been so good to, to us and, and helping us. With um, you know, we're we're able to do now a level of R and D that would have just been impossible for us before. Mm. So now we're really being able to just you know flesh out all the details and just get the the best equipment and test everything and just um, you know just e- everything we're doing now has just been taken to the next level because of yeah. their support. You yeah. know, and I'm just eternally grateful to them. I just I That's love them fantastic. both so much. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting hanging out in Austin, and, and uh, we spent some, spent some time with Aubrey. We we're out at his house, and yesterday we went by the 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 headquarters, the Onnit <sighs> headquarters. It's amazing. Oh, fuck, yeah! It's really cool. I what a great place to work. You know, I, I know. Mean, such a cool environment, laid back. They've got the big gym there. They've got the basketball court. The, you know, got the cryo chamber the cryo so you can <laughs> freeze your nuts chamber. in there. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I haven't done that. Have you done that? No, I
1: haven't. It looks pretty cool, though. Yeah,
0: I yeah. want to try that. I think when back in Portland we'll at least set Cassie up for it because she's got some inflammation. It would be very helpful. I think it's perfect for that. From what I've heard, yeah. I know Rogan's done it a lot. He'll Instagram mm-hmm. photos of himself in his bathrobe occasionally yeah in the cryo we're gonna put
1: a float room in that in that on it academy too i was just talking oh, to the, nice. the coo over there about some renovation work they're getting ready to do and one of the things they're doing is making room to put a float room in there right so that talk about a one-stop shop yeah and you're gonna work out f- cryo Float. It, pick up ju- your supplements. You got a juice bar. We got a juice bar. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm um, I'm
1: really impressed with Aubrey. As I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years, I mean, and he's he's really smart, and he's building an empire. Yeah, you know, they just picked up a, a yoga business that that local oh, really? yoga thing called uh, Black Swan Yoga. They just acquired that company here recently, mm. and so you know he's he's stretching out and covering more ground, which is which is pretty neat to see, right? Yeah, he's a really committed guy and I get somehow manages to
0: be cool and relaxed i know yeah i mean he's just so chilled you know yeah i don't i don't know how you do that i get freaked out when i have to like pay my gas bill you know right <laughs> it's like oh my god that bill i gotta deal with the bill you know like one bill and in- he seems to be able to juggle a lot of shit. Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess it's maybe all of that experience that he has with psychedelic medicines and doing the work that he does. At some, I do Somehow he's got himself really centered and really focused. I
0: fucked up somewhere along the line because I did <laughs> a lot work out of that experience way for you. <laughs> with psychedelic <laughs> medicines, and I get all flustered. Uh, anyway, okay, so anyone out there who's thinking of opening a flotation business, uh, Kevin is your man. You definitely want to talk to him. And now that uh, the on it boys are on it, it's uh, it's get in while you can. It's it's and it's really expanding rapidly. It's yeah. people are becoming, you know. I'm as you know, I'm kind of curmudgeonly. You know, I mean, I, I think the whole. I, I think don't see the,
1: you that way, but yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> well, I think the shit is essentially hitting the fan even as we speak. You know, but um, uh, but it. I have to say, it is encouraging to see how rapidly. Ideas are spreading in this country, good ideas, mm-hmm. like, you know, the value of silence and, uh, you know, centering yourself in flotation or, um, you know, the, the way that uh, same-sex marriage, the acceptance of same-sex marriage has just exploded. Yeah, overnight. Overnight. And and the idea, you know, marijuana Legalizing legalization is yeah. yeah, just this sort of like common sense, bi- basic dignity and and decency that, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, people like you and me were saying, what the fuck? Why Why yeah. is marijuana illegal? It makes no sense at all. It's silly. It's stupid. There's no scientific okay. justification. But, you know, nobody's going to change. It's not going to change. And then suddenly, in the course of just a couple of years, boom, everything's changing. Yeah, you're tempted to have some hope and faith in American culture all of a sudden, right? I am. The sudden, I right? am <laughs> but then, you know, I, I, I look at my Obama T-shirts that I haven't worn in four years, and I remember...
1: Yeah. Now they just represent <laughs> disappointment to you. Drone you just, strikes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Guantanamo that remains open with people who've never been so charged many. with a crime and, you know, and just so such issues. bullshit and yeah. no prosecution of the Bush administration for any of their bullshit.
1: Yeah, or any of the, the – nobody from the banks mm-hmm. suffered any real – Prison time or any. And Edward
0: Snowden is a fucking treasonous criminal. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot about Obama that got
1: pretty disappointing. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things I think he could do that he hasn't stepped up and and done. Yeah. But, you know, I I worry that that's probably most likely stuff happening in the background that we know nothing about. Yeah. That like suddenly, you know, you, you go in, you become president, you've got all these lofty ideas, and then somebody sits you down and tells you what's really up. Yeah. And and yeah. suddenly you don't have the choices that you thought you had or yeah. whatever. Your power doesn't mean that much. Yeah.
0: I mean, you're pretty naive if you go through the whole process of running for president and actually think you're going to have much power. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't. It's and, all
1: a show. And that's disappointing because he obviously knew that stuff. And he still sold us on you know hope and change it's going to happen i'm I'm the guy to make it happen yeah. when when probably he knew all along that his hands were basically gonna be just as tight as his yeah. predecessors
0: but I mean the thing about Obama that you'd really do have to you know acknowledge is he is always playing the long game, yes, you know, yeah. always he's looking five, ten steps ahead, yeah, and he's fucking smart, he's good at it, yeah, and so i you know and he's. He's very deeply pragmatic. So I think he looks at, you know, like the Obamacare. He knew that sucked. He knew the single payer was the way to go. Anybody intelligent knew that. But I think the way he looked at it was, okay, we deliver a shitty system, but we get it through with all the compromises, all the bullshit we're going to have to do. And what that's going to establish is that a lot of millions, tens of millions of people are going to have access to health care that didn't before. And nobody's going to be able to take that away from them. Because every time the Republicans try to take it away, people are going to be in the streets freaking out. So once we get that in there, then someone 20 years from now can improve it and make it a single payer system or whatever. But we have to, like, you know, take the baby step. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And he's right. You know, He he is right. That is the only way to get something done in the shitstorm that Washington is. Yeah. Which is why you know you and you and I will never be politicians,
1: right? Because we want the end result now. We're like, we see how to fix it. Let's make that right. shit happen right well, now. Well, And we
0: have some fucking principles. Yeah. And you can't have principles if you're going to be a politician. That's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, anyway. you and I have no hope in that arena. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you imagine like my <laughs> first political speech you know announcing my candidacy would also include like you know all the uh, you know extramarital sex and the drugs and <laughs> yeah. the, you know like I I'd, I'd have to just like lay it all out there you know president ryan (laughs) that's right vote for me i'll vote for you if you want to do it if you want to run thanks
1: i'll I'll get in there and support you throw my name behind you Will you give me 10 million like it'll make a big deal (laughs) (laughs) when when you're a float tank magnate (laughs) that float guy says chris would be a good president
0: (laughs) sorry let's take his word for the casino owners are you know supporting my opponent but i've got the float tank industry that's gonna go (laughs) back on it i'll
1: be the on it candidate yeah you're gonna have to pump some iron though if you're gonna put on that that on it t-shirt those, no. ol- those only fit like really really beefy guys so. yeah
0: they've got they've got they should have like bicep padding built in <laughs> you know so i could i just put on the shirt and look muscular you know <laughs> i know It's i was over at aubrey's place the other night uh, having dinner and like Everybody – I was wearing these uh, these Merrill Trail Runner shoes or something, yeah. right? Which I just bought in some outlet because they, they were comfortable and they're like minimal shoes. Lightweight. He, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. And one of the guys there – so everybody in that dinner is like extremely fit, you yeah. know, like triathletes and this guy's a UFC fighter and, you know, this guy – and so one of the guys was like oh you got the Merrill trail runners you like those you, know, you you know you don't find they do this or that i am like dude i have never run on a trail yeah. when in when you're out life. on that
1: long 25 mile <laughs> trail run that you did
0: yeah. this morning that's right i wear these you know going from my office to the bathroom and yeah. back basically yeah
1: i agree it's it's incredibly intimidating even just to go to on it for me like you know mm. i'm 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 healthy and i'm in i'm in shape and everything i feel like a total wimp when i go over there it's like yeah. everybody there could like just break me in half yeah no problem you know yeah.
0: it's true I, I i get that experience i actually mentioned that one time to to joe rogan in the studio we were doing a podcast and i don't know. We we're talking about bears or something and i said something like you know sometimes joe when i'm around you i feel like i'm in a cage <laughs> with a bear. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a gentle guy personality-wise, mm-hmm. you know, that there's a disjuncture there. But, yeah, physically, it's like, yeah, it's it's almost a different species. Like, I'm a poodle and you're a fucking wolf or something. Yeah. Is, yeah. yeah.
1: If you do end up in a cage with a bear, I think you want Joe and or Aubrey in there with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although they might just use me as a club Bait. to beat the bear, yeah. you know. I don't know. Right. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to uh, the, what really uh, made me want to talk to you. Uh, well, two things, as I mentioned earlier, your musical career has been really interesting, and I've learned much more about that. In fact, we had a private concert last night. That was fun. I, yeah, I wish I'd recorded Thanks that. For indulging although, us, <laughs> indulging you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that was that was really wonderful, and you, you know, you we talked about the experience of being a professional musician and having a band and, you know, management and, you know, you guys are on the road and you ended up with this infrastructure that is a sign of success. When you're music and its original songs that you and Carol have written and you're performing and, you know, when you're supporting nine people with Mm. that, that's, you know, if that were a farm, that'd be a lot of acreage, you know, to support nine people. yeah. But then, as you mentioned, you get that infrastructure all put together. You've got the tour vehicles and the band and the you know the, all the stuff.
1: The office back home, yeah. The manager and the booking agent, right. and the, So
0: you yeah. need to keep money coming into that. Yeah. It's and so then suddenly intense. you're like, you can't, you can't stop touring because this thing needs to eat, you yeah. know.
1: Yeah. And we had, that. that's exactly our situation. I mean, we had it to the point where, you know, we we were playing 275, 280 shows a year. That's a lot of stage time. I mean, we're, we're playing five, six, seven nights a week, week after week after week with no break because we're so heavy that, you know, you stop for one day, you start losing money. Yeah. You know, all these people still have families to feed and, and bills to pay and stuff. And, And it's all of a sudden, when you're sitting still, you're just, I mean, it's a horrible feeling.
0: It's industrial. It's like those, you know, an industry buys equipment, machinery. They want that machinery to be running 24 hours a day. Right. Because you don't buy a machine to have it sit there idle. Right. And so you guys, uh, uh, you know, an entertainment unit becomes a machine. It's a machine, for sure. And any time it's not running is downtime. Yeah, And that's you're losing money, but you're also supposed to be creative, right? So, when the fuck are you going to be coming up with new ideas and letting things percolate through your consciousness to come up with new songs, new material, if your entire existence is exhaustion and you know performing? That's that that was the
1: toughest thing, you know. It's like we we hit a point, you know, musically where we needed to be in the studio making another record. But but none of the the prep work had been done for that. We're we're on the road all the time. There's no privacy. You know, I I I don't write music with a group. Like to me, it's a really deeply personal experience. You know, I have to sit with those words mm. and and you know filter through the the meaning and the presentation and the music and everything. And and uh, you know, especially for me because I don't I don't write music that I sing. Like Carol's our lead vocalist, so right. I I'm writing something. For, you know, an, another person, opposite sex. Like, I, I have to think about that as right. I'm crafting lyrics.
0: It's like Elton John pretending he wasn't gay all those years. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he, not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you think about that. Like, all these yeah, gay, gay singers who are singing, you know, uh, ostensibly to a woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And here, so you're a so, man writing songs that a woman's going to be singing. Right. So my process yeah. is a little
1: different. You know, I have to, yeah. I have to sit with that stuff and, yeah. and really work it out in terms of like an emotional picture. I right. can't just describe for you literally with words what it is that I'm thinking, what I'm trying to say. I have to create more like a, a, a snapshot of something. Like, how do these words draw a picture for the listener? Yeah. And, and then something that Carol can interpret and make meaningful for her when she's singing it. You know, and you're asking me to do this process while I'm stuffed into an RV right. with six other people or seven other people going down the road. It's like, where, where am I supposed to do that? Where, yeah. where, do, where do I have that space yeah, and privacy? Yeah, like the,
0: the bathroom at Denny's? Yeah. Is that where you create a space? <laughs> yeah, it was just
1: weird, you know, very, very hard to do. And yeah. you, you, you express that to your management like, hey, I need a little downtime. I need to get in the studio. I need to do some writing. And, uh, but that means everybody stops earning just because Kevin yeah. needs that space, that, that's that's a hard thing to lay on people. Yeah. You know, so...
0: Yeah, and then if you have a band where it's like, uh, you know, we're going to go on the road for four months out of the year, then they get into other bands and other stuff, and you can't get the same right. people together, and yeah. that that becomes a big issue as it, well. It's
1: the, it's a really hard thing to deal with, and a lot of people don't get this when they look at music from the outside. You know, they just see a band yeah. or whatever, you know. Yeah. But, but really, we're so... Um, it's so uh, complicated because you create these situations like like the one that we had where you know I'm trying to work toward a goal. I, I did a lot of our business and the um I sort of liaisoned between the management and the record label and the band. You know, right. they always put one of us in that position and yeah. and um you know here I worked really hard and then ultimately created a situation where I'm dependent on eight other people to make my thing move forward. Any one of them like taking themselves out of that picture or, you know, just, gosh, if somebody got sick right. or had an emergency where they needed to pull off the tour for a, a couple of days, like the whole machine shuts down. Right. You know? You
0: can't just pick up another bass player and plug them in. Gosh, when, yeah. you're,
1: when you're playing original music at, at yeah. our level where, right. where we weren't, like, a household name and not, you couldn't just find a guy who would just know our
0: tunes. He knows them already, know? yeah. Yeah. And uh, you were in that, you were in a very difficult spot there because you're not playing in some corner bar where nobody gives a shit if the bass player doesn't really know what's going on Right, like you open for Dave Matthews band right you're, yeah. you know you talked last night you mentioned some of the people you played so you're playing you're expected to be at the highest level yeah. and yet you don't have that advantage of everybody knows your song, so you can just grab some a fan who plays the bass well and, right. and plug them in. Yeah. so you're kind of fucked from both angles there. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah.
1: The expectations are high. You have a lot of responsibility.
0: So yeah, you know,
1: it, it can get pretty, pretty, uh, pretty intense. That feeling. You
0: know, you were talking about the difficulty of writing songs for carol to sing i thought another interesting angle of that is at least you know just based on some of the music that i've heard that you've written a lot of it's about relationships about you know moments of falling in love falling out of love you know you know there's a lot as a lot of music is you know but the music that you played for us last night particularly there was a lot of deep emotional content in that Mm -hmm. and um and it just occurs to me that you're writing A song that a woman, your wife, is going to be singing about a man, in many cases, which is you. Right, <laughs> at least theoretically, it's like a feedback right? loop. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> we got exactly.
1: two mirrors facing each other. Exactly,
0: yeah. it becomes a little bit a you know yeah. Versailles, Hall of Versailles kind of situation right. there. Yeah, kind
1: of goes back to like the the challenge of writing lyrics for that kind of a situation. Yeah, right. So like, how do you how do you make these lyrics open enough and open to interpretation to where you can extract whatever meaning out of it you need to to, to fit the situation it's pretty complicated yeah yeah so so it made for um slower more thoughtful songwriting, right i'm not i i i've never been a songwriter that would just sit down and cranked out like 10 songs in a week Mm. right i'm lucky if i get a couple of good songs every 10 weeks right you know so do
0: do songs ever come to you in dreams or or floating for example yeah
1: yeah definitely yeah i hear music in the float tanks all the time oh Yeah. And uh, the challenge is to like you remember some, it. Yeah. Usually I can. You know, I've gotten pretty good at cataloging that stuff. Like I can, especially if it's something that is sounds particularly interesting to me. It really does honestly feel like it's coming from an outside source. Yeah. that That's what's so weird about it. Yeah. Is that it's almost like you're floating in the tank and it's like the universe is projecting music into your mind. Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, it's new. It's not something I had thought of before. Where's that coming from? right yeah so when something cool happens like that i usually will like actually go through the process of trying to catalog that like what is that chord progression that i'm hearing you know what are those lyrics try to try to cement them in before i go back to whatever i'm doing my floating or whatever
0: yeah yeah i i mean consciousness nobody knows what the fuck's going on with consciousness but it the more I learn about it the more I think about it the more convinced I am that the brain is a receiver I like that it's not a generator yeah and so you quiet it and you pick things up right who knows where they come from who cares ultimately uh, they're they're out there and 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 you and I were talking about this yesterday the I think both of us have had um, enough experiences of Uh, paranormal, uh, for lack of a better word, not while tripping or, you know, not like, the the, the walls are moving. I mean, real crazy shit that we've experienced that there's no question that that there are dimensions that we don't understand, but that occasionally, you know, there will be an indication from those dimensions that, that they're there. You just need to be aware. You need to, to notice. And yeah. so many people go through life not noticing. And then we talked about the sun and the moon, the marriage of the sun and the moon. Yeah. How, yeah. how And people have probably heard me say this before, but if you haven't, the there's a great book by Andrew Weil, one, one of his first books, called The Marriage of the Sun and the Moon. Each chapter in the book is about a mind-altering experience or mm-hmm. substance. Such a great book. Yeah, so there will be like but it's 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 what i love about it is is how he went off the rails cuz there's like obviously there's a chapter on cocaine there's a chapter on heroin and mushrooms and but then there are chapters on laughter and yeah. vomiting and you know right. like and and the endorphins that are released and Pain vomiting and, 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 and yeah. yeah like all these sort of oh i didn't think of that as an as an altered state of consciousness but he talks about um eclipses mm-hmm. and how how typically our society is convinced that they're dangerous and you have to, yeah. you can only look at an eclipse backwards through a box and right. get, all this bullshit. Right. Right. And the fact is, in a, in a total solar eclipse, it really won't hurt your eyes because if during the eclipse, there's no um, ultraviolet radiation coming directly from the surface of the sun and all right. that. Anyway, I read the book. It's fantastic. But my point is that in that book, he uh, explains how. The the diameter of the sun is I don't know if it's millions or hundreds of thousands of times bigger than the diameter of the earth. I know your head is just massive. Yeah, and the sun is a fraction of the size of the earth. It's tiny, and yet the distance of the sun from the earth exactly compensates for its diameter compared to the distance of the moon from the Earth so that when you look in the sky, the sun and the moon appear to be exactly the same size, Yeah, which is why you get the total eclipse, but you can why still see the, the flares coming off the, the surface corona. of the sun. Yeah, yeah the yeah. corona, exactly. Yeah. That is fucking mind-blowing. Magical.
1: It's, it's On a universal scale, Yeah, magical. Right? right,
0: and then you add, like, there's one planet that we have ever found that contains life. Most of the, the the mammalian intelligent life is is two sexes, is male and female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a, this animal that's smart enough to think about symbolism and all. So the two most important symbols are the sun and the moon. One is female, one is male. One is you know goes through menstrual cycles, you know this whole thing. And here they are completely different and yet the same, balanced. Mm-hmm. And it's only through some amazing mathematical coincidence that this can happen, right? And, and yet you tell that to people, and a lot of people, some people would be like, holy shit, I never thought of that. Other people would be like, yeah, well, you know, that's a coincidence. Just luck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, how is that a fucking coincidence, man? Yeah. You know, like they've, and I talked to Andrew Weil about this. I said, like, have they ever calculated how moons look from the surface of Jupiter? Right, because you could calc- do the mathematical do the thing. And he's like, "Yeah, there's no other vantage point from any other planet that has moons where that happens." Yeah, you know that that strange juxtaposition.
1: Yeah, and what does that mean? Like that—that's that's the big question. Like, is—is is there something important there? Is there something yeah. for us to be paying attention to? Is that like a little clue? To, to something bigger yeah. and, and uh, well different. well,
0: to me, what it means is that there is much more going on here, like that we're in a box, and that box is in a room, right, and so that's an indication from the room that, right. right that to remi- that we're in the box right you know there's something that uh, that that um, holds us there's something that there's something bigger than the box that we perceive. Yeah. You know, it used to be. I don't know if it was the ancient Greeks or before then that they thought that stars were holes. Oh, right! In the sky, right? That the sky was black. It was like a black like a curtain. Yeah. yeah, and that there were holes in it, and the light was coming through those holes. So, in that perception, it's like there's this light outside, and it's just leaking through in those little points, right? right. And so I see the sun and the moon thing is like that. It's 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 a leaking through into this dimension of something that's going on in this larger dimension that envelops this dimension. Right. You know. And of course we don't know what that is, but we know it's out there. We know the beyond is there. Yeah. There's nothing it's not emptiness and blackness and death and silence, you know, out there. It, there's shit out there. There's there's intelligence and, and, and uh, connective, connectivity on a dimension that we can't perceive. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not there. Right. You know? And there are these indications that it is. Walt Whitman in uh, Leaves of Grass, mm-hmm. uh, his most famous uh, book, he, he describes these things as, um, he says, leaves of grass are like a handkerchief dropped by God. Mm. You know, just to remind us of his presence, and I yeah. see things like that it 's like, oh, you know or, i mean i don 't want to uh, tell personal stories, but you and your wife have have had these amazing experiences where you know there's there 's this indication from the universe there, and there 's yeah. no question like th-
2: th- th-
0: that doesn 't just happen randomly these things so, yeah anyway i wanted to I wanted to make a connection because we 're talking about silence and float tanks and mm-hmm. and um you know, being open and hearing music and, and be, you know creativity and all that. And um, you know, you mentioned another part of your life that I knew nothing about, which is actually very connected to all this, which is caving. Yeah,
1: I love that some you're caves. a very serious
0: <laughs> uh, cave explorer. Yeah, and it just strikes me how similar it is. You know, there are like two places where you can go that are dark. Wet and silent. <laughs> the theme developing in my life is that <laughs> exactly. what you're pointing out here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a cave and a float tank. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so there's there is a sense of destiny about the way your life is uh, is developing. It's interesting. Yeah, it's,
1: it's not all that surprising if you. I mean, uh, when I look back at what it was like growing up, you know, I, I grew up here in Texas in the in the hill country, where uh, around Austin and. It, we're on a limestone plateau. It's just, it's just full of caves. There's, there's little caves everywhere. Yeah. And as a little kid, that was one of my favorite things to do. I would go find a cave. I'd crawl back in there to the point where no light was penetrating the cave. I'd just turn off my flashlight and just sit there. Mm-hmm. Like, as a little kid, I, I somehow knew that was important. There was something about that sensory deprivation that, that you know, opened up my mind to, to other things. And I, I, I feel like, I mean, humans have been doing that forever. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the the caves at like Lascaux and Chavez and that place yeah. you were telling us about in the in northern Spain, you know, and it's like obviously people were trekking, you know, hours crawling into these caves to get to these locations where that was done. Yeah, I kind of think that was like an initiation for for those people to to um, put them in an altered state where where they could, you know, uh, kind of ponder what it meant you know, what, what being a human was all about, you know? So as a kid, I, I just naturally stumbled upon that thing where it was just like very interesting to me to go into a cave and shut off the lights and then, and then feel like that, that that was a thing. It's, um, what did they call it? The, uh, uh, the, the devotees of Pythagoras used to do the same thing. They would go into caves. They were looking for, um, the prisoner's cinema, is what they called it. It's the what we know now is the Gensfield effect, where if you um, if you limit sensory input, the brain kind of turns up the sensitivity knob. It like it increases the uh, neural noise, basically what you're aware of, right? Mm. And so this is what what's happening in, in sensory deprivation. And I just discovered that as a kid. I could I could sit in the cave. I could hear the sounds of the earth. I could hear water dripping in the cave. I could hear wind blowing past the opening. Mm. There were times when, you know, I, I, I couldn't really appreciate it as a kid, but the feeling of the earth around you and above you and this idea, like if you could picture in your mind where you were in, on the planet, deep, deep, deep in, in the ground with all the weight of all this rock over your head. and And there were times when I could... Feel it and hear it, like it was like this low hum, this vibration, like the ohm of the planet happening, you know? And uh, I mean, that kind of makes me sound like a weird little kid, but. You were a weird little kid. Yeah, I'm still kind
0: of a weird little kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And yeah. let out your weird inner child. Well, it, and you were, you know, you're living in Texas, mm-hmm. not known for its open mindedness. Yeah. You're in a Mormon family. Yeah. Your parents are quite conservative, strict very, upbringing. Very, and you're crawling into caves and like, you know, getting your freak on. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, it. I mean, you, you mentioned that you've been playing music. You, you said yesterday I was asking you how you got into music, and you said, you know, oh, when I was seven, I just started playing and whatever. And you know, and that made me, because your parents weren't musicians.
1: Uh, actually, both of my parents play music. They oh, just okay. Did it. So you it had was,
0: instruments lying around. Yeah, we had the house. pianos
1: oh, good, in, good. in our house, and they were always very cool about making sure that we had instruments. I have brothers as well, so, you know, so we had guitars and drum sets and stuff like that. They right. were they were very artistic. I mean, they uh-huh. they really supported the arts. I mean, you know they they bought tickets to to symphonies and 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 plays and things like that they're they're very supportive right, right? you know i gr- i grew up also in the theater world and they were always you know, made sure that I had access to that kind of stuff, make sure I could get to rehearsals and right. they, they were supportive as conservative. It's weird. Cause they were so conservative. This, this like deeply religious Mormon family, there were a lot of things that I was interested in doing that were very much pushing the limits of that. Yeah. And, and yet, and somehow, even though they were really strict about that stuff, they, they made room in their thinking to, to um, allow me to, to have those experiences you know, so in a way, yeah. I kind of I kind of grew up with the best of both worlds. Yeah, I I do have this like very strict moral code that's but you know got put into me about how to live my life and to be an honest person and, mm. and to treat people correctly. You know, and and yet I still had the opportunities to uh, you know to experience things and yeah. You know, yeah. It's been tough, it's not to say it was easy you know when you when you um when you leave a religion like Mormonism, there's ramifications right you know you you're um you definitely end up as an outlier black sheep kind of situation you know yeah so as i as I move through my artistic life as as a musician, as an actor as a writer, all these things, you know it's always been kind of a little tense for us in our, in our family, you know but um Maybe we're getting over it, man. It's been lots of decades now. So yeah,
0: yeah. You you mentioned uh, we're we're sort of veering all over the place. I yeah. I'm conscious of the fact that I've got a plan. Cassie and I have a plan yeah, to catch, yeah. which I hate. I just want to like let it flow, but I'm also yeah. like, okay, gotta cover that. Gotta cover this. Yeah. Um, one thing I was thinking uh, yesterday, we were talking about your when you went to. Um, uh Brigham Young, you got a scholarship. You yeah, got to Brigham Young that out, was of, out of high school. So you're <laughs> you're small town Texas. uh You go to Brigham Young. You're there for like one year, and then you're like, "Fuck, this can't do yeah, it." Yeah, yeah. And then you you go to New York. You get accepted to what? What's the name of the school?
1: Yeah, it's, so it's called the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and that's in Manhattan. It's right? In Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. So
0: you go to Manhattan, and you're. You're doing your degree there, and you're working. You're selling books during the day, and you're hours a day on playing your guitar in the subway. Yeah, and you work your way through theater school in Manhattan. Basically playing guitar in the subway. That's yeah. the bulk of my
1: money came from that.
0: So tell me about yeah. that. What's, what's that like? And, and it turns out you and I were living within two blocks, two blocks of, each of each other in the mid-80s in yeah. midtown Manhattan. That is so fucking crazy. I,
1: I know. We must have passed each
0: other on the street at least once in yeah. that time. Oh, of course. You know? Of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's nuts. That's yeah. so strange.
1: It was cool. I, I, I was... Um, I... I uh, scheduled myself with my schooling so that I could make both of the rush hours, right. right? So it was like get up in the morning, get down in the subway, get a good spot, make the money off of that rush hour. Was, as,
0: was there any sort of like weird organizational thing with getting a spot? A like, little did bit. Did you have to pay someone off or were their, their hoodlums like occupying spots or something?
1: <laughs> well, uh, If you call other musicians hoodlums. hoodlums. yeah. So yeah, the short
0: answer is yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, yeah, sh- surely, you know, you kind of... Um, Over time, what happens is like that's my spot, and and other musicians know like, well, you know, if that guy doesn't show up, I might use his spot, but chances are he's going to be there. He's there every day, right? You know, and And they're definitely, uh, yeah. I mean, to a degree, you know, it's definitely. uh, a certain amount of um, uh, working that out, right? You know, and, and it did kinda... you play
0: at one of the stations right around our neighborhood?
1: Yeah, I did. I played. Uh, I, I played in that. You know, forty and sixth. There's right, that station. The, the orange line. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the F- ye- F- yellow F- line. Yeah. and it I think comes it was in the, d. the end I think it was the, d, the d train the, the d right? train the, yeah. i
0: think it was the d the f was the local the G's uh-huh. the express and then there's one that came in from queens that turned exactly. in there too yeah exactly yeah so i'd
1: usually start out there kind of feel that out a little bit you right. know it kind of had to do with the energy of the moment like if it felt good there i could do that otherwise i'm already in there so i could move down to 42nd street or down to penn station or you know sometimes it just felt better to be you know, south down down in the, um, you in know, the down in Soho and the village and yeah. stuff like that. Right. You know, so it's kind of one of those things where you just do it out of um, just intuition. Right. Like you just kind of feel it. Like oh, I'm not doing very good here today. I think I'm going to move a couple stations down and see right. if I can pick up some interest there.
0: Because different stations certainly have a, a different personality. No I doubt mean, about it. Like that's a real businessman. You know, I'm busy. Got my briefcase kind of station. Right. And, you know, West. Yeah, because there you're dealing with tourists like, and. Yeah, yeah.
1: Ex- exactly. You know, you've got Rockefeller Center right there at Forty Ninth Street. Yeah. You know, so that's definitely like one kind of of uh, person getting right. on and off the train around there. You know, Times Square. It's pretty general, just because it's New York and you know, everybody's yeah.
0: moving around. But yeah, and but, also different times of day. I mean, those are people absolutely. coming into work. Yeah. People
1: are way more receptive. Uh, in the afternoon like when they're coming home from work the pressure's off you know they're not thinking about their day you usually make about twice as much money playing the Uh, afternoon rush hour as you did in the morning that's interesting but you know I still had to work both yeah but great training for a musician oh yeah to to work that way you know because you've got a very short amount of time to capture people's attention and then not only get their attention, but capture their imagination because that's when they start pulling out money and supporting what it is that you we do. Were you selling
0: CDs as well? No such thing as CDs in oh, 1983,
1: 84. Cassettes? Was cassettes. I didn't even have that. I wasn't at a point where I had gotten that far with my music to even have a sellable recording, you know? Right. So I was just this like freaky little hippie kid from Texas. Banging it out on a guitar In the subway It must have been a. I mean I'd love to see Something like that now I didn't appreciate it At the time I was just doing What I had to do
0: Yeah Yeah, yeah. But- Did you we were you in that neighborhood when Midnight Oil played that concert on Sixth Avenue outside in uh, front yes. of the Exxon? Yes, I was. Yeah, so- yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's
1: great. Yeah,
0: that was amazing. It was the, after the, pro- the Exxon protest, oil spill. The protest concert. Yeah. They fucking played on the street, like "fuck you, Exxon," yeah. man. And there were cops everywhere and people blocking the yeah. street. It was that A bunch was of cool. Going
1: on, yeah, yeah. it's very cool. It was an exciting time in New York. You know, that's before yeah. they cleaned it up. Yeah. Like it's it was still very rough around the it edges, was rough, especially in man. that area. You know, yeah. I, li- I lived on 49th, between Sixth and Seventh, so more so toward Hell's Kitchen. I was right bit. on the yeah. literally like the the building next door to my apartment was uh, a place where you could go see live sex on stage. Right. Yeah. So as a as a you know 18, 19 year old kid ex Mormon fresh out of South Texas and BYU, like suddenly I'm like, <laughs> a like card or something. look what's going on next door. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Very interesting. Wow. Very interesting. Really a life lesson for me yeah. to just throw myself into the middle of that. I got to New York with um, $200, a guitar, and a footlocker with... Whatever stuff I could put in there, I had no, I had no place to stay. I didn't know
0: anybody. You're like that. What's that urban cowboy? That didn't quite go that way, but yeah, (laughs) you you weren't like banging middle aged ladies with your cowboy boots on.
1: Then yeah, then I would have been making my money that way (laughs) instead of doing what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah, but what a what a what? How about getting thrown into the fire, man? I mean, I I spent my first night in Manhattan. I, I spent at Grand Central Station. I didn't know where else to go. Yeah, I got off the plane. I got on a bus into Manhattan. It was 11 o'clock at night. Didn't know anybody, nowhere to go. So I, I literally just like, kept my stuff under my feet and just sat there. They, wouldn't let you, they don't let you sleep in there. Right. The security guard, if you fall asleep, they'll come and wake you up. No yeah. sleeping in here. Yeah. You know? So I'm just like, huddled over my stuff, pretty sure that I'm going to get robbed at any minute, you know, and just figure out what my next step was.
0: How did you find the place to live? Were you sharing it with people? I went to
1: my school. The next day, uh, right? Uh, I, I had an orientation or something, and so I, I got to the school. I talked the people in the school into, into letting me lock my stuff up in a closet, and then I just spent the day like kind of searching through all the other kids that were showing up to school. Everybody was new, so it's like, Hey, do you need a roommate? you need a roommate? You know,
0: uh, right. just,
1: just worked it out nice, yeah. Well was, done, man. It was fun. it Was, was that your exciting. first time in New York? That was the first time I had ever been oh, to fuck. New York, ever. That's, Never set foot there until dude, that, that that's like that
0: night. that's like going to another planet.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean my, my parents must have just been freaking out. Of course. I can't even imagine. Rightfully what so. That, rightfully so. Yeah. I say yeah. it all the time. I'm the main reason I don't have kids. Yeah. Because I'm afraid my kids would do some of the stupid, crazy shit that I did growing up yeah. and I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. It's yeah. true. That's but such true. a growing experience to yeah. to to um to have those kind of situations, you know, as an artist, to, to be able to just say, okay, I'm, I'm so committed to, to what I want to do that I'm just jumping in there and I'm just going to let whatever happens happens. How you old know? were you? I was uh, 19. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I just so walked great. away from a, a full ride scholarship. I had a four year full ride at, at a university. Yeah. Their theater department was a joke. Yeah. You know, they were they were still doing the stuff that we were doing in high school. I knew I knew I couldn't prepare to be a professional actor there. Yeah, you know, and this is this is what I saw. I found this school. And I I did the whole audition and got accepted before I ever breathed a word of it to my parents as an actor. As an actor, yeah, right. Yeah, and have you done
0: acting professionally?
1: I did for a while. I did for a while, mm-hmm. but I um I kept going back to music. You know, it was just like those experiences. I never really intended to, to play music professionally, but in the subway, when what I would do is I'd play a few cover tunes, you know, like these kind of pseudo folk rock, you know, I was playing like Melon Camp and and uh, um, Horse you know, with Fleetwood no name. Mac, yeah, America, Horse <laughs> With No Name, and what, whoever sang Amy, we tried to yeah. figure it out. We still don't know who sang Amy. <laughs> we
0: both know the song. <laughs> the
1: people out there listening will know. Amy, yeah. what
0: you gonna do? And then I'd Can't sneak remember remember. in
1: an original, yeah. something that I wrote, yeah. and gauge it, and see, like were people still willing to throw money in the guitar case if it was one of my songs? Right. right? And a lot of times, uh, you know, in retrospect, I see what was going on. Like That was my heart coming out it mm. was it was better than than what i was covering because now i had something i had i had you know a dog in the fight all of yeah. a sudden I had, I had i was in there it was now it was like what do you think about my song i know you like that one right you know and when i saw that happen when i saw people responding to that and giving me applause and giving me money and all i was hooked i was absolutely hooked and then it became very hard for me to focus on just being an actor because i had this thing gnawing at me that was like, well, you can play music too, and uh, it was it was super fun because I I um after we got started in school there was uh, you know the Blarney stones that are spread yeah, all around the, the Irish pubs. these little Irish yeah. pubs right yeah. so there was a Blarney stone about two blocks from my school, and uh, so every Friday afternoon you know classes let out about six thirty or so, and. Um, and so, every Friday afternoon, I would haul this big group of students over to this blarney Stone, and that would have had to have been let's see the school was at like thirtieth and Lex, so it would have been like twenty eighth and whatever's one block east of lexington and uh Madison Madison, yeah, 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 and uh I would just pack this little pub by by seven o'clock there's you know all these students from the school over there. And I would just put on little concerts back in this back room. They let me have this whole back room to myself. And I'd get other kids from school that were musicians, you know, guys with guitars and people playing tambourines and shakers. And I'd just kind of get everybody involved, you know. And it would just turn into this like five, six, seven, eight hour long. Jam session with all these creative, super creative kids from all over the world that were at this school, mm-hmm. and then you know the Blarney Stone. Of course, they like just poured drinks down my throat. Like I just, I never bringing in a lot. Oh, of I was making business. a lot of money yeah, for them. Nice. Yeah, and so I was starting to see like, oh, this. This is what you do, man. You like you have these. You throw these great parties. Everybody plays music. Everybody sings and dances and drinks. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that started looking really good to me. It's how you appropriate
0: know? that you're doing it in an Irish pub. because yeah. that's Irish culture so right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's man.
1: And that took me. That's what got me on the music path, man. I just couldn't yeah. ever get my head off of it. After that, I just kept coming back to it and coming back to it until eventually, it just eclipsed everything else. It became my life and yeah uh, kind of lost the acting thing after that
0: yeah that you know one thing I, I i mentioned last night like one of probably the only thing i i sort of feel regretful about in my life is that i've never experienced being a musician right mm-hmm. and, and not about fame or adulation or whatever just that just uh the feeling of playing an instrument well enough that you you can just Forget what you're doing and just be in that flow yeah. with other people, yeah. and jam, yeah. and just you know ideas are flowing around the connection. room, and you know you're playing a, a line, and then you 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 hear another instrumentalist pick up that line and take it to a different place, and then it comes back to you, and that level of communication and and unity with other people must just be fucking so wonderful i know maybe yeah. i'm projecting more oh, no. onto it or romanticizing You're absolutely right. it, absolutely it's magical i mean i love yeah. hanging out with with musicians who are jamming just to be in the room with it you feel feel know energy. I, I feel so honored to just be around that yeah. magic that's that's happening it's so cool particularly
1: for me like because i do this with my wife
0: oh yeah like we met in a band right and and uh a band in which no one was allowed to have relationships i made that rule (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. you guys don't even think about it yeah Yeah. (laughs) because i'm thinking about it yeah yeah i'm surprised that band didn't break up immediately man once you two got
1: together i know yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's a cool, cool little story about that. I'll yeah. tell everybody. So, yeah. like, so we had this band. We had a, a really good female singer. I, I, I like female singers, so I always wrote music with that in mind. Mm. And she was really good. She had a, a relationship with the bass player. They had a problem. She split. Now we're a band with no singer. Mm. So we were auditioning all these singers and went through a whole bunch of them, couldn't find anybody we liked. Eventually, uh, one of the music stores locally referred Carol to us, and Carol's a phenomenal vocalist yeah, as you heard last yeah, night. Yeah. She's got chops and a great musician. She plays so many instruments. Right. Piano, accordion, flute, guitar, bass, percussion. Like she's all over the map. Right. And she came into the studio and, and, and
0: she's strikingly beautiful yes thank you strikingly always beautiful. always nice to have yeah. you know, in your main your lead singer in a band yeah. right yeah so
1: she came in an audition and and you know first of all, on a technical level, she just blew us out of the water, I yeah. mean she was just so incredibly talented and then and then she's beautiful, you know yeah. and uh, you know I, I think I just fell in love immediately like you know i'm 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 so taken by her voice, right and when i hear her her voice how it registers in my head is like oh this is the voice i've been writing I've, for that
0: i've been writing for that's an interesting form of love right there very yeah.
1: yeah yeah and so all of a sudden i got well what we did was we we looked at each other in the studio the the band looked at each other everybody kind of gave the approving nod like this is the one we asked carol to leave for a minute and we all agreed immediately, this is the one. We're going to hire her to do this gig. And, uh, and then I made the
0: rule. It was just for one gig at that no, point? No, no, no. I mean, do oh, the, oh, uh, take the position yeah, in the right. band.
1: And, um, and so I made the rule. I was like, okay, but nobody messes with this girl. Like She's really good, and we can't afford the risk of this. So everybody right. hands off, right? right? Yeah. Three months right. later, we're into this incredibly intense romantic relationship, secret, Nobody knew about it. Yeah. Nobody. We didn't tell a single other person until we were engaged to be married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah.
0: So I was that asshole that like made the rule and then broke it. <laughs> yeah, but you broke it for a really good reason. It yeah. wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to get laid and none of you guys are. It wasn't yeah. some bullshit. You know. And it's been a beautiful life together. Yeah. We've been married for 25
1: years Yeah, as of last year. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very powerful part of... Of our time together, you know, we, we, we have this thing that we do that's just, we don't even think about it now, you know, we sit down with instruments and we just open up and it just comes out. Yeah. And so like to, to have this relationship with your wife where you're creating this art, and we sing together, so we're always lacing our voices together, right, and right. and we're not uh, we're not um, afraid to be emotional with each other. Right. So we can look at each other and sing and play and harmonize and yeah. and all that stuff, and it gives us just this beautiful thing that we have in our in our life together in our relationship, yeah. and it makes us just the best of friends. Right. We travel well together. We I know well even, even
0: just hiking. It's like, well should we go that way? I don't know, you want to go that way? There there's no you guys are very um fluid about who's choosing which trail to go on and you know, these little points that can create conflict and power uh, struggles in a right. lot of relationships. We've very little of that yeah. in, in yeah. our yeah. life together. It's noticeable. It's, she,
1: it's really good. I I have so much respect for her as a person and as a as an artist, as a business person. Like everything she does, she does it very, very well. Yeah. And so it's easy for me to just like go with the flow. Like if if she's She's obviously got a direction. We're do, we'll do that direction today, sure. you know. Yeah. And she does the same for me. Right. So it's it's been this very powerful life that we've had together, you know. And it's yeah. just, um, I, I do believe as as corny as it sounds, like we're you know we're we're meant to be together. We, right. we fit very very well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No question. It's uh, and then getting back to the the caves and the and the float tanks and all that. I read a. A quotation recently, I think it was from, um, I think it was Rilke, the the German romantic poet. And I'm paraphrasing, but he he described love, like a a healthy, authentic, loving relationship as one in which each partner protects and defends the solitude of the other. Mm -hmm. You know? Which is funny because so many relationships are, Seem to be about invading the solitude of the other. All and clingy and needy. clingy, and what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. And oh, oh you, you, you like her more than me, or you know, you're, his mm-hmm. dick's bigger than mine, or you know, like all this sort of freak out about what are, what you're thinking, you yeah. know. Uh, and and the way he phrased that is like, no, it's it's about giving that person space to think, to have their privacy, right, and respecting it and defending it against everyone who wants to invade. It's like, I'm your guard dog, and you're my guard dog, yeah. and what you're doing when I'm guarding you is your business. Yeah. There's something really dignified about that that I think yeah. is, is missing in this American uh, Hollywood.
1: I noticed you and Cass are the same way. Like yesterday when we were out at the waterfalls, you know, it's like you, one of you would just wander off and go find a beautiful place to sit right. and be alone yeah. for a little yeah. while, and it wasn't like, where'd she go or where'd yeah. you go, you know? Yeah. You know, I think probably it, why you travel so well together. And well, have the that, life that's you what do. I was
0: going to say. It's like you know, tr- we, you and I have both traveled a lot, and you know, you very quickly see there are certain people you can travel with, and mm-hmm. then people like forget about it. Yeah, and a lot of that comes down to whether or not I'm going to feel threatened in some way if you want to go do your own thing, mm-hmm. right? If so, forget it. Right. You know, if, if the deal is we need to do everything together, then forget it. Right. But if the deal is that, you know, when our interests converge and we both want to go to that museum and we both feel like doing it today, then we go together. But tomorrow I feel like, you know, staying in. You're not going to cancel your plans because I feel like staying in. You're right. going to go do what you feel like doing. That's right. Yeah. That's the structure of a successful relationship, whether it's two dudes traveling through Europe together or people married for 40 years. Right. You know? I think that's what it has to be. It's like, oh, if we can't do it together, then I'm not going to do it. And then I'm going to dump all this weird shit on you because you didn't want to do what I wanted to do. That is never
1: going to work. I think you said in a podcast not long ago that if you're thinking about getting married to someone, you should travel with them yeah. for an extended
0: period of time first without being on the pill yeah, yeah. <laughs> kill both those birds with one stone don't get pregnant but yeah. don't be on the pill because that blocks your ability to as for women to uh, to assess men's Im- immunological compatibility oh, yeah I didn't yeah. think about that yeah it's on a very chemical subconscious level but yeah. i think yeah.
1: traveling really has a way of like stripping away your facade that you that you put up for the world you know you really you really get to know a person when you've been you know traveling and trying to to survive from day to day and whatever what's what's the world throwing at us next and how are we going to deal with it all of a sudden you you really learn whether that person is flexible and intelligent and all of those things that we look for in a good partner yeah you know and forgiving yeah 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 because a lot
0: of shit happens when you're traveling you know Yeah and
1: sometimes you you know you've got to let me just be a little baby today and let me right. let me have my mood today and that's yeah. not going to affect us tomorrow
0: and you get through you know I think I think early in relationships particularly everybody's trying to present their best side Absolutely. and and you know Hide your like bodily functions, right. you know. You don't fart, and you don't don't fart in front of your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But when you're traveling, you know, like especially if you're like seriously traveling, like Asia or something, yeah, you know, yeah. you're gonna have diarrhea, mm-hmm. right? And you're gonna be sharing a room, mm-hmm. and you're going one of you's gonna be in there like <laughs> yeah. making a lot of disgusting noises, <laughs> and like really suffering through it. <laughs> and It's just gonna happen, right? Yeah. So how are you gonna deal with that? I, I always said for me. Like uh, one of the – I mean the way I phrase this is like the for a woman to be compatible with me, she has to be comfortable shitting in the woods. Right. Any woman who's like, no, I can't shit in the – oh, no, oh, ooh, no. Like forget it. Disqualified yeah. immediately. You've yeah. got to be able to go behind that tree, take a dump, don't make a big deal out of it. Right. You know, uh, otherwise – there's just no future here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, and that, and that, and, and
1: I have that lady in my life. I mean, Carol's a, she, she's a caver. She, go, she yeah. goes, she uh, goes all the time caving with us. Um, She's a great backpacker. She's great in the backcountry, man. What? Yeah, a...
0: you guys do serious trips. We do serious backcountry, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah, all over the place. Pretty much everywhere we go, we're, we're pretty much prepared to, to disappear into the backcountry for some amount of time, even even when we're traveling overseas. So, do
0: you, we... when you do those trips, you take like cooking stuff and all that, mm-hmm. or you just live off nuts and chocolate? For... No,
1: we we have super lightweight, high tech little cooking, you know, With little dehydrated
0: uh, yeah. dinners and all yeah. that. Yeah, I never really
1: got to forage into a little that. along the way, collect. Stuff, fish, and and yeah, you know, just collecting plants and whatever, whatever it takes. Oh, you to know it, the edible plants. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Depending on where I am, right. Right. If I'm in the Rockies, I'm really familiar with the Rockies. I can right. I can pretty much survive there. You know, that's fantastic. Especially you're,
0: if I have fishing gear. You're fucking Jeremiah Johnson, motherfucker. You know, I don't know <laughs> mountain man out
1: there. Yeah, I love what it does for you spiritually to spend oh. a good deal of time in the backcountry. You know,
0: again with the silence, mm-hmm. right? With and it's not not that the is silent, but it, it pulls away all that artificial noise that's trying to get your attention, right, right. and just lets you think.
1: Yeah, I like yeah. to have a good balance of all of it. Like, it, you know, as, as a as an artist, a musician, as a business person, you spend a lot of time in the city. You know, all all, all that that means, right? And that's great. When you have an escape hatch and you can go, well, yeah. good. I'm going to do that for for a couple of months. I'm going to really put my head down, and get to work, be in that world, fully commit.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I'm I'm okay to do that because then I know I'm going to go spend ten days in the desert or up in the mountains or whatever yeah. you know. And it's just like you know that you're going to get that release. And yeah. it's easy to spend a day or two in the back country, go out there and spend the night in a tent and everything. Yeah. Talk to me on day four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Like it becomes a different thing. You start, you know, the, the 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 whole energy changes around you. You get into that sunrise to sunset cycle and you start looking. Everything is a matter of getting from here to there and surviving and not getting hurt. You get way, way back in there where you know, you know, I'm fucked if I get hurt. Yeah. There's no way. There's no good
0: way out of here. No fucking I, cell phone coverage. Nah. If I fall and <laughs> yeah. break
1: my leg, it's going to be a long haul to get out of here. Yeah. You know, and and you got to yeah. trust the person that you're with. And so those kind of experiences help build trust within relationships, whether it's your wife or your friends or right. or whatever. So I, I find it like just absolutely necessary to to put yourself out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you do a lot of that kind of stuff. So you're, you know, we were talking about backcountry, but the back to the caves. I, I want, I don't want to leave. I don't want to like uh, have, have a great caves. conversation <laughs> without getting at least one serious cave thing. Because yeah. I mean, so few people know about that world yeah. and and do that because it it is really dangerous. You got to know what right. you're doing. Yeah. Um and even if you know what you're doing, things go wrong. Absolutely, and I've you're lost in a, friends. Yeah, yeah, really, friends, people yeah. you've you've caved with. Yeah, they made. Silly mistakes, and it cost them their lives. What sort of mistake?
1: Well, you know, we were talking yesterday about ascending gear and the right. difference in the kind of ropes that we use in caves versus what you use in in rock climbing, right? right? So, in, in, when you're rock climbing, you have a dynamic rope; it's designed to stretch and and take a fall. When you're in, when you're in a cave, you use you use a static rope. They're very stiff, very rigid, and they're designed to. Um, Allow your ascending equipment when you're climbing up the rope. We don't we don't climb on the formations. We we try to stay off the cave walls and things like that. So to
0: respect the the cave and also they're slimy and slippery a lot of times, right?
1: They are, but it's it's more about conservation. Right? right? You can go in and touch a formation that's three million years old, and the oil from your skin where you've touched it actually stops the mineral deposits from happening. It sheds the water. It'll
0: roll over It'll it. It'll roll right. over it. And so
1: now you've you've disrupted something that's been going on for millions of years. Yeah. And if you don't have that kind of respect for, for that cave, you don't have any business being in there. I mean, What, what about
0: your breath? Does your breath alter the environment?
1: It, it can, yeah. There's definitely places in caves where you don't want to spend a lot of time. Because there's just no air flow through there. Right, and you're changing humidity in the yeah. air and things like that, you know. So, is, um, is
0: oxygen
1: a problem in caves? Occasionally, yeah, you can get into some places where there's just no fresh air, and sometimes gases.
0: That's what I was thinking. Yeah. If the rocks are shedding gas, mm-hmm. you could go into a chamber and suddenly, yeah, you know, you're, you're
1: always you've always got that in the back of your mind. You
0: so, know? You're, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, so you're, yeah. Anyway, so your your friends.
1: So. Uh, the the situation, that, uh, the one I'm thinking of the, uh, where we lost one friend was, he was a very, very experienced caver. He he owned a, a, a caving equipment company called Guano Gear. Mm. So he knew what he was doing. I mean, right. he was a guy that you could trust. Right. And yet um, he was on an ascender, right? So these ascending devices, they, they'll slide up a rope. But when you pull down on them, they bite into the sheathing of the rope. And, and that's what gives you the mobility to move up. And um, you never climb. You never put your weight above your ascending devices, right? And because um, they loosen and slip. Well, because if you fall, you're falling onto a mechanical piece that's biting into the rope, oh, and it, it and may it's be a rope that's not. The rope's designed not going to take the fall, right? You know? The rope's not dynamic; it's not going to stretch with you, right? And then your equipment, your ascending equipment, it, it's biting into the rope and it's doing that based on your body weight, just right. climbing it. It's not, it's not designed to hold you when you fall because uh, the forces change pretty dramatically, you right? Know? Right. And and this guy made the mistake; he he got above his equipment and and he slipped and fell, and you know he was only a few feet above his equipment. But that extra uh, weight of him falling actually caused his ascending equipment to bite all the way through the rope, and he fell to his death into the bottom of a cave. Fuck! Yeah, the amateur mistake from a very very experienced guy.
0: Was and, he just like at the top of the ascent, and he was just like yeah. sort of reaching for the?
1: Yeah, he just had a ledge. moment. He had a moment where he didn't really need the rope. He was just yeah. about out, and, and he yeah. was just like, "Well, I'm going to just kind of, you know, not use the rope right now. I'm just going to climb out of here, and then I'll unhook." Yeah. You know, and and oh, it was the wrong decision. Yeah. You know. And uh, and every once in a while in the caving community something like that'll happen where a really experienced dude will bite the dust and then everybody gets recommitted to being safe. Yeah. And you know, I was telling you yesterday the guys that we cave with, world-class guys that have been in some incredible caves and and we watch each other closely when we're when we're gearing up, when we're hooking into the ropes, when we're setting protection, you know, it's like there's no ego involved. You know, I'll, I'll rig myself in and then I'll turn to the, my buddy and go, hey, this looks good to you too, right? Like, right. you're happy with how I'm hooked in here? Yeah. You know, and, and that's we keep each other safe. We look out for each other. Yeah. Because some of these places are, whoa, boy. I
0: well, mean, you were telling me a story yesterday about descending into a cave and you're, like, dangling from a rope in the middle of a huge room. Yeah. You're not yeah. anywhere near any walls. No walls. Walls. You're just coming you're just out just of like a, little a hole spider, in the one of those spiders, like at the end of his web. You know that yeah. that one uh, line. Yes, you're just dangling in the middle of darkness in yeah. every direction,
1: so far that your headlamp Fuck. can't even reach the wall. Right. So when you put when you turn your head to look to the side, there's there's nothing. Yeah, you're just in complete
0: space. <laughs> you know, which I mean, what is the only time I've had an experience that is similar to that is in a float tank. Yeah. Me too. Where you're like in outer space, outer space. you're just you're just no, no boundaries. Or scuba diving, which I know you also do. Very similar. kind yeah, of Yeah, where there's no visibility. You know, like in bad you know bad visibility yeah. or something. So, so that, that
1: one yeah. cave you're talking yeah. about, you know, just to draw a picture for people, you know, we're we're um, up fairly high on this mountaintop, and and there's a um, a cave opening that you know drops in at a pretty steep angle for a couple of hundred feet. And then you get to a point where you now you need ropes to go further, and you basically rig up and you drop down through a crack in in what's the floor to you at this point in the cave you're you're on the floor and there's this opening that's you know probably you know twelve to fifteen feet wide in one direction and maybe thirty in the other direction, and you go through about you know, 20 feet of stone all around you as you're dropping through. And then all of a sudden it disappears out from underneath you. There's nothing. And and what you've done is you've come through a tiny little hole in the ceiling of a room that's the size of like the Houston Astrodome. There's 12 acres of land in the bottom of this room. Yeah,
0: And are there bats in there? Oh, yes. yes. And, and do, I mean, do the bats freak out when you come through that hole?
1: Uh, if you get too close to them, yeah. Yeah, we try to also watch for for that kind of thing. You do, you don't want to disturb the bats during the day. They have a very limited amount of energy to keep themselves warm when they're oh, not flying. Right. And they they regulate that very carefully. So, if you if you disturb a bat colony during the day, you're going to kill a lot of bats. Really? Yeah, they're not going to have enough energy to keep themselves warm until the time of day when they fly out of the caves and start feeding and and you know, refueling themselves and
0: why don't they roost outside where it's warmer
1: uh yeah that's you know that's a good question i guess it's just protection and yeah. and climate and you know they're they're just you know in those little nooks and crannies in there so yeah. and
0: do yeah. you get bats like banging into you and
1: stuff occasionally i've had them like hit me when it, you know they're flying out and i'm repelling in yeah kind of thing you know so wow but just so, some of these caves are just so tremendous. It's so inspiring to be in these places. It's literally like being on another planet. Yeah, I was showing you pictures yesterday of like uh, the so bottom this of this yeah. this cave called the Cave of the Madonna. Uh-huh. This is in New Mexico, uh, just above Carlsbad Caverns. You know that that whole area above Carlsbad in the Guadalupe Mountains. It's just riddled with holes, caves that that dwarf Carlsbad Caverns. Right. Yeah. If they were easier to get to, those would be the commercial cave. Right right? Carlsbad is just accessible. So, but the, it, you know, I showed you pictures of like your, your seven or eight hours down into this cave. You've already repelled a couple, you've, you've repelled a hundred feet into the cave. And then a couple hours later, you dropped 160 feet on another rope. And then a couple hours later, you did another 200 feet. And then you get down to these rooms where there, there's lakes, and rivers and stuff down there, and it's just—it's like another planet. You know, you're looking at this lake that's, you know, sixty, seventy yards across, and there's formations growing up out of the water, and I mean, just like just otherworldly and humbling.
0: And, and do you see those those like white fish with no eyes? We have and all seen that them. Stuff?
1: Yeah, we see a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh, animals and insects too that have just evolved in that environment. They don't need eyes. They don't need coloring. You know, like we've seen clear fish. You see right through completely them. Completely transparent. Just completely transparent. You see all their guts. And, and, and their, the their, their light from your headlamp is
0: the only light that's ever touched that animal.
1: Maybe the only time they've ever been in light. Yeah. Yeah. For for maybe, you know, millions of years of evolution that, yeah. that they haven't been, ever been exposed to. it. It's it's really it's neat. Wild. It's a neat experience to have, you know.
0: Have, yeah. Now, I don't know if, if this is a, a question that you'd rather not answer, if, if it's a fair question asked, but... I mean, have you ever tripped or, or been high in a cave? Because I mean, it, it must
1: be like tripping anyway. just it is being there, a very psychedelic experience yeah. to be in there. So um, I would never do that in in these like really big, dangerous caves with the big drops and everything. There's there's right. far too much at stake, and yeah. easy to make easy to make a mistake
0: yeah. in that situation. You don't but, need to be distracted. Yeah,
1: yeah, but there are uh, caves like what what we call a walk in, right. where it doesn't require any technical gear. It's relatively safe to be there. You know we've definitely gone and, and and just kind of staked out a little space in the cave where everybody's comfortable. you bring in what you need for the day and, yeah. and you know maybe eat some mushrooms yeah. or or something like that to uh, and it's very communal I mean you definitely yeah. feel like you're making this connection to the earth that that you don't normally do and and I think as long as you do it respectfully, you know you're not just in there partying yeah you know as yeah. mo- most of us at this point we're not partying when we you know, do those? Do you ever find
0: like like, like some cavers have, have gone into a really deep, beautiful spot and like left behind yeah. bullshit? Really, yeah,
1: unfortunately, and we usually stop and clean it out. Yeah, it'll 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 kind of derail that part of our, our trip. But yeah, I mean, I've I've gone to some pretty great lengths sometimes to pick up stuff that people have dropped, and yeah, because it just lasts forever in there. It's never going to go away. I mean, it's it's like, like packaging or yeah, something like that, yeah, or, or, or equipment. Really? You know they'll drop a piece of equipment and they'll just write it off and just say nah it's not it's not right. worth it to me. You know it's a it's a it, there's ethics to these things and not everybody has those ethics, you know. Yeah. And so as part of our stewardship practice of you know being responsible cavers, it means that yeah, you know I'd rather keep going and keep exploring but right now I'm going to dedicate 45 minutes to getting that piece of trash or that glove or mm. piece of gear out from that space, you know. Yeah. It's just part of what we do. I mean, we, we, we give service time as well. You know, some, sometimes when we go into a cave, it's not just for fun and exploration. Sometimes we're actually in there mapping and, and uh, measuring and, and uh, surveying the cave is what we call it. Mm. So you can spend, you know, hours and hours and hours just in one little part of the cave mapping it out and getting yeah. all the measurements. And you'd and,
0: rather be checking out things and wandering yeah. around. You know.
1: Rather rather be doing that, but at yeah. the same time it's important to recognize that like in, in order for us to conserve those caves and you know make them accessible in the future for people, we, we need to know what's there. We need to know if stuff needs if it's special things that need to be protected. Like there's some caves that you go into and you see formations that literally don't exist anywhere else in the world except for that cave. Because of the specific environment, the direction of the airflow and things like mm-hmm. that, you know? There's things called helectites that actually defy physics. They they start, it's it's a dripping mechanism that's basically creating the start of what we would think of as a stalactite hanging from the ceiling, right? And then for no good reason that thing will change direction and start growing up. And it happens so slowly that we we, we can't sit there and watch it do it and figure out why it's happening. Like what's with the sudden change in direction. But you know, I've seen them many times. Really? Yeah. They'll grow down a little ways and then just literally turn and head up and out at an angle. And there's no explanation. We, we, we like still Maybe don't there
0: was an earthquake and it opened up a little draft or something. That's that what we think. We before. think it has to do with, with
1: air current, like right. just
0: enough air movement in the
1: cave that it actually like starts to blow the, the, the water that's dripping and stuff <laughs> like that.
2: Incredible.
1: And so when you find this yeah. stuff, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, well, we need to make a note of that. We need to make sure that the, the people that are running the park service understand that like there's this really fragile part of the cave, right. you know? Right.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been lost in a cave? Well, I have been. Yeah. Really?
1: Yeah. It's terrifying. Oh, it's terrifying. You okay. suddenly become very aware of your light sources. Yeah. You know, I always carry at least three Sources of light. The one I'm using, and two backups just in case. Because you're, I mean, gosh, pretty bad. Were you uh, in a group or alone? Or? Uh, yeah, in, in the one time that I really got lost, I was with another guy, and uh, we just had to we just had to work it out. You know, we moved very slowly. We what what I learned was very important in that situation was to always turn around and look where you've been. Right, great metaphor for life. Yeah, always turn around and look where you're be- where you've been. Yeah. You know, so that you don't get lost because it's uh, it's sketchy. But yeah, eventually, obviously, we worked it out. I'm here to talk about it. Yeah, but how uh, long uh, how long were you in the in the? uh, It turned it turned what should have been about a two hour exit into about a six hour exit.
0: So there were like four hours where you didn't know where you were going. We were relatively sure
1: that we knew where we were going, but there was no real certainty to that. Because we had moved very fast coming into the cave, we, you know, as usual, right? We got a late start.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're boogieing down in there. We had a goal. We wanted to get to this one part of the cave that we hadn't seen before. So we're in unfamiliar territory. We're not doing our, our due diligence and turning around and make sure we know what, how to get out of here. And didn't even really occur to us till we started back and we started reaching options, and we're like, shit, man. I don't remember this. Did we come, because it all kind of starts to look the same yeah. after you've been in there all day. Sure. You know, and you're in this weird headspace. That's That's a thing that's a little harder to describe, but you definitely are in a certain headspace when you're in a cave. And you're used to seeing formations, and you've looked at a lot of interesting things. You know, the visual cortex is just Overloaded. way stimulated, yeah. you know. And all of a sudden, you've got to rely on this now to get yourself out. So it's, it's... Uh, yeah, makes, that
0: that's got to be a deep, deep panic. Yeah, fear on a fundamental level. Yeah, when you're deep underground in darkness, when you realize you're about to be one of those
1: stupid people that got you know, like he was supposed to be experienced and he got in there and you know got lost. So yeah. luckily, there's there's people that know that you're in there. You can't enter those caves without getting a permit. Right. So, so they, they know you're in they there. They know if then, you don't come out, if you don't come yeah. out and turn your permit in, in a day or so, then chances are they're going to send somebody to get you, but wow, what, what an awful
0: couple of days thinking that, you know, well, and also who's to say they're going to find you. Right. You know, cause, cause some of those cases are a lot huge, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's caves
1: that you could I'm explore for just days and days. About that. <laughs> well, I want to do. I want to get you in there yeah. sometime. Man. Well, definitely,
0: I would... I'll do a walk in anytime. Yeah. I mean, ropes and stuff. I don't have a lot of experience on ropes, yeah. so that's. I've that's got some more caves that
1: we could do some short drops. You know, less yeah. than 100 feet, like 80 yeah. or 90 feet, to get into them and and get you some, some experience on the rope so you'd feel more comfortable with it. Yeah. It's fun when you get to that point oh, where, fuck, you, where yeah. you trust that equipment and your, yeah. and your skills and stuff. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, the possibilities start to open up. You start looking at places in the cave that's like, I'd like to go over there, but I'm going to need 200 feet of rope and all the special equipment to get there. Yeah. And that's, part of the, that's, that's one of the coolest things about getting, to, getting your skills to that level is that you get to go places where maybe you're the only human being that's ever walked that passage you know and that's that's a pretty neat thing to experience it's
0: a long ways from uh midtown manhattan huh yeah. I and mean, we talk about two extremes like the corner of you know 49th and <laughs> 6th and some cave in new mexico where nobody's ever been before yeah. those are yeah. definitely two ends of some sort of spectrum that's what life should be like right i mean you know well, that I you mean, travel and that's yeah. that's
1: why you do it right well to- we're so
0: i mean that that's you and i've talked about this a lot the last couple of days like um you know moder- I'm not a fan of modernity yeah. you know that everyone it's the knows new book. that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. exactly right but you and I and and the most of the people listening to this podcast are so incredibly fortunate that we can experience these these extremes mm-hmm. you know we everybody can afford a ticket to New York and go stand on that street corner and like holy shit man you know like just Get that overload and let it wash over you. And then, you know, you can afford, uh, like upstate New York, there are a lot of caves from what I've heard. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can take a bus and you can drop into a cave and turn off your light and sit there for, you know, all day long. Right. And just enjoy that silence. You can, we can do that. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. You know, or you can go to a, you know, get in a flow tank, you know. Yeah. which actually yours I was thinking this earlier when we were talking the stuff that you're putting together I don't we should stop calling them tanks cuz people yeah. get an idea a tank is a claustrophobic space you know it's like a coffin or something right. what you're designing are more like little dens or yeah, little they're rooms. Yeah, they're yeah. they're office they're not office space but it, I mean I'd be happy to have an office that size yeah. you know it's um, yeah it's the, it, we should come up with other terminology for the it The industry
1: calls them float rooms yeah. Right. But but that also gets just a little confusing. Chamber, such a generic... float
0: chambers. And I don't yeah. Know. yeah. They're
1: always looking for ways to make them sound more friendly. Yeah. Because we started out being called sensory deprivation tanks, yeah. isolation tanks, yeah. like all these negative all connotations, negative. Yeah. right? Yeah. They're, they're trying to come up with ways to make it sound more friendly and more inviting and stuff. Yeah. So I've heard them called float rooms, float cabins,
0: cabins. Nice. Know. Yeah. because that's the thing for people who haven't done this, I mean, what what you want to imagine is You can stand. You're standing up in it. There's so Seven feet tall. It, yeah, yeah, it's it's a big room, and there's just what nine inches of there's water. There's between or ten
1: and twelve. We usually keep them closer to twelve inches.
0: Right. Of yeah. very water that's got so much salt in it that it almost feels like gelatinous. Yeah, it's slick. It's it's really nice yeah. sensation, and people are worried about cleanliness and this and that. It's all filtered. It's yeah. and the salt would kill anything the, just, alive. Just the salinity you know? level. I mean, yeah. if
1: you're, you're dissolving twelve hundred pounds of Epsom salt in 300 gallons of water. Right. So you're approaching 25% solution now. Yeah. You know, it's like you're going to have to have an extremophile to survive in that environment. Right.
0: Like one of those things from
1: the hot vents. Yeah. 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 And how's that going to
0: get in there? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Like if you brought
1: that in, we need to talk. Right.
0: Right. So. And everybody showers before they go in and it's all, I mean, it's, and the salt is really good for you. It's got all this magnesium that comes in through your skin. That's really good for your body. And, so your it's, muscles, it's the opposite of, a, of unhealthy. It's a very right. healthy experience. Plus, we
1: filter the be Jesus out of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we turn um, the requirement is that you filter that body of water three times between uses. We do it more like six and a half, seven times. The whole
0: the whole tank.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah, we have very high capacity pumps. Right, and then the system that I designed for sanitizing the water uses UV and hydrogen peroxide. Right. Right, so so no chemicals. You're not soaking so, in chlorine. It's or cleaner bromine. than your
0: bath at home. It's beautiful, for sure. Clean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also like I I almost never get any water on my face. Yeah, yeah if you go in, you sit down, you lean calm. back, and and right. So it's, uh, yeah, very... It's hard for
1: people to understand that that, that water can support your whole body right. weight. It can support the weight of your head. Yeah. Once you trust it, once you've done it enough times where you really trust it, man, that's when you can really yeah. let go, relax, go deeper, let yeah. go more, go deeper and deeper into you know, these incredible states of consciousness. That yeah. I haven't been able to duplicate those almost anywhere else. It's a different kind of experience, yeah. you know?
0: Well, there's... You know, we're talking about how, like, when you shine your light on one of those fish, it's the first time light has ever struck that fish, possibly, right? right? And you think about it, um, you know, when does a human being ever experience weightlessness? Almost never, right? Unless you're a fucking astronaut. Right. You know, that's
1: it. For for most of us, this is probably the first time that we've ever had experienced anything other than than that constant downward pull and that, right. I mean that's affecting your muscles your joints your skeletal system your yeah. vascular system your heart rate your respiratory rate right so much of the workload that our brain is dealing with 24 7 it's gravity yeah. yeah yeah it's probably the most profound thing that we're doing with a flotation tank is is taking away the gravity
0: yeah yeah it's incredible it changes the way your whole body and brain work I got a roll. Okay, uh, I, I got a plane to catch and a wife to pick up. So right uh, this is great as always. Thank you. I've for I've really enjoyed the last couple days, stuff. man. We've, yeah. we've
1: really just spent a lot of time together and hanging out and doing great yeah. stuff. It's, uh, Austin's it's great a to great call you place. a friend, man.
0: Yeah, you too. Thank yeah. you. All right, check it out: zerogravityinstitute.com. Yeah, and they can uh, people who want to order tanks can find you there as well. Everything can be done through Everything that website through
1: that. for sure. Okay, great. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you, Chris
2: he said baby what's a big deal feel what you wanna feel say what you wanna say you're gonna die one day for example I could kiss you just because I want to and what's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day why do you want